to the podcast where together, every Monday, we explore hospitality in its very broader sense, from culture and cooking, cocktails and coffee, nutrition and farming, politics and animal welfare, organic and sustainability, family and business, entrepreneurship, and much, much more. Come and learn with me, Mark Cribb, about where our food and our drink comes from and the businesses and more importantly the human beings that thrive on where we decide to spend our time and our money. Sign up to our weekly newsletter at humansofhospitality.co.uk and hit subscribe on your podcast player of choice. Welcome to this week's episode and today the eat out to help out support finally finishes. Well at least it does on the day that this podcast is released. It's been incredible to see just how successful that has been. Baffling in many ways since I've offered plenty of better deals during the winter months before at my own restaurants but never had the same response. It just shows the power of something with a simple message, simple to execute for the customer and with consistent national publicity. Now whilst many of us have traded well throughout August, most people that I'm speaking with are aware that we could be in some sort of false bubble at the moment. Some people are still furloughed or working from home and have a bit more time on their hands. Many countries are closed, meaning more people are in the UK. Many shows, festival and places we normally spend our money on are closed. So maybe people have a few more quid in their pockets. And in the main, perhaps a lot of people are going out and eating outside whilst they can, ready to hunker down for the winter. We just don't know. I personally think the September to November period is going to be fascinating and going to give us a much better understanding of what we can expect trade to be before next summer kicks in. Anyway, let's get on with this week's guest. Simon Potts is the managing director of The Alchemist, a group of 20 cocktail bars and restaurants dotted around the UK. And I wanted to chat to Simon partly because The Alchemist has such an exceptional reputation and I wanted to find out more about what makes them and Simon tick. But also I thought with Simon having a decent number of venues spread out over a diverse area of the country, he would be a good barometer of what is happening in hospitality in the different geographical pockets. So we do touch a little bit on lockdown and the subsequent closure of one of their venues, and we discuss some of the fast tracking of initiatives, particularly around technology in the venues, like ordering at the table and the nuances of whether that should be app-based or web-based and how it integrates with their existing tech. We also touch on some of the design elements of their venues, since I'm always personally fascinated by spaces that can transition from breakfast to lunch to dinner and then late evening drinkers. It's a tough art to get right, and Simon explains how much work they put into things such as natural light and street-level entrances to try and get this right. And with so many venues, Simon has also has some useful perspectives on the shared burden of the accrued rental overhead that so many operators now need to either pay or negotiate urgently. I very much hope you enjoy the conversation as much as I did. And remember, if you've listened before and you do enjoy this show, can you please do me a very quick favour? In return for me taking the time to find and interview all these great human beings, could you just pick up the device you are listening on, find the podcast and scroll down to the review section? Click on the five-star button and even better if you can leave a few words 
excellent. It really helps me get even better guests for the show, and then we get locked into this beautiful spiral of great reviews and great guests, leading to better reviews and better guests. A win-win for you and I. Right, enough of me. Let's meet Simon. Simon Pott, CEO of The Alchemist, thank you so much for joining me uh, on the podcast today. Hugely appreciated. Can you just explain to people listening, Simon, where in the world are you as we talk today? Yeah, just, uh, well, first of all, thank you very much for having me. Pleasure to be here. Um, I am beaming in from our offices, which are in uh, Wilmslow in Cheshire. Okay, perfect. So, uh, yeah, great. And that's what, is that where you've been based most of the time? Or did you end up at home during lockdown predominantly? Or? Yeah, I, I mean, um, handily enough, the office is about 10 minutes from where I live. Um, uh, this this odd thing at the minute where um, uh, home is in Manchester, which is obviously under a slightly different set of uh, restrictions than the rest of the country at the moment. And the office um, 10 minutes down the road is in Cheshire, which is um, free and, uh, and able to go about its business normally. So um, I've been uh, bouncing between the two, really. We've got a a standalone office space so throughout the lockdown period um i mean in, in the, the heat of it um there was only a handful of us working but we've been in and out of the office just um just to stay a bit connected to the business and uh yeah plenty of space to be socially distant and, and do our thing from here so yeah i've uh I've, I've worked a bit from home and enjoyed the good weather when it was um when it was with us not something you, you often get in manchester so it was nice to have a little bit of time to, uh, to sit in the garden and do that uh, and then really yeah just just sort of working from the office and more recently, pleased to say, been, been able to sort of get on the odd train and, and get down to London, where we have a lot of um, a lot of venues, and uh, yeah, and, and start to see some of the um, the guys and girls in our business, which has been great. Yeah. Nice little little bit of normality. So I guess you're a little bit of an indication, I guess, what, of what many of us are, are expecting, and I suppose it's probably the best we can hope for, which is rather than going back to a full national lockdown, you know, we're getting we've seen Leicester, Manchester, Aberdeen, we're seeing these sort of more localized approaches. In reality, what how severe is it? What's the comparison between when we were in proper lockdown and these more sort of localized restrictions that you're seeing in place? Yeah, I, I think if you've got a situation like they've got in, in Aberdeen and and um, the, the extension they they put in place in Leicester, where businesses were you know were, were formally closed, then then clearly it's going to be pretty impactful. The, the measures that have been put in place in Manchester, I would say, have it, sometimes these things take a little time to, to trickle through. A bit like back in March when we were being gently discouraged from going to, to pubs and restaurants before the, the formal lockdown came in. It, it didn't happen overnight. It, it took a bit of time to, to settle in. In Manchester, I think people have, have sort of taken the message um, pr- pretty well on the chin. Um, it's, it's obviously coincided with the um, uh, Eat Out to Help Out scheme, which um, has been you know fairly good boost pretty much everyone I've spoken to in, in all parts of the country. And um, of course, there are plenty of people who, you know, you're still perfectly entitled to go out with your household or um, uh, with your, your, your bubbles. And people seem to be quite happy doing that at the moment. Um, we, we had a, a good slew of cancellations, as you can imagine, over the weekend, because people had planned to, to come with, you know, uh, different households, friends visiting from elsewhere and, and so on. And, and obviously, we had to, to adjust those. We all through this piece, we've tried to do our, our thing as responsibly as we can do. And we, we've been at pains to, to make sure that people understood the new measures. Once once we understood them, it would take a little while for that information to get through. And um, uh, we, we saw some cancellations, but they were, were fairly quickly replaced by a um, good, good number of people eating more more locally and um, just perhaps with significant others or with uh, with families. So it's been a bit of a feature of the last few days. So uh, in terms of the, um, yeah, the, the, the sort of revenue impact in Manchester, it hasn't been too significant at the moment. And, um, and that's with us, you know, towing the line and, and abiding very much by the rules. I think there are maybe one or two others out there who are perhaps turning a bit more of a blind eye to the, um, to the household situation. But people, um, yeah, but really the responsibility is with the individual on that, of course. 
Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it can be really tricky, I think, isn't it? And, and and even just trying to prove it, you've got your doubts sometimes looking over at a table going, really? One household? You know, I'm not so... That's a quirky... That, that should be a documentary, that household. But uh, yeah, it's, it's tricky to know how far to take it. So um, and we'll chat a little bit. We'll come back to the um, to the pandemic, but I just want to chat a little bit about your business. Is, is it still 20 venues? Did you did you lose any during the pandemic? And have you reopened them all yet? Yeah, we have, um, we have closed one venue, actually. Um, but that was... A little less to do with the uh, the pandemic. It probably accelerated the decision there. But we had a break clause coming up. It was in a signed lease um, in a slightly smaller um, uh, sort of metro environment than we, we've grown accustomed to operating in. It was a site we took on uh, fairly early on in the, um, the the growth of the business. And it was sticking along fairly nicely. But the, the break clause gave us an opportunity to step away from it. And um, we've done that sort of neatly and, and tidily as we uh, as we could hope to do. Um, we repotted a lot of the staff into um, other venues. Uh, the site was in Chester, so um, other venues in Manchester and Liverpool, and Chelk, oddly. Um, and uh, we, you know, we've, we've sort of negotiated a sensible kind of exit from the the space with the landlords. And, and interestingly, he's actually um, very quickly had uh, other offers on the place. So there's there's plenty of movements that it seems in the market at certain sort of levels. So um, that that was more of a, a kind of plan one, and not necessarily sort of um, uh, directly pandemic related. Other than that, yeah, we've we've um, we've got 17 venues operating of uh, 19 today um newcastle opens on saturday uh, there's been a little, little bit of negotiating to do there it's in the uh, the into um center up in newcastle so obviously a, a landlord that's going through a little bit of a challenge in its own right we've just had to work a couple of kinks out in in terms of the regearing of the um uh, the lease up there um but we're, we're we're good to go up there on saturday and then we um we had a site down in cheltenham that we had pretty much built was, was going into its final uh, week of fit out as we went into lockdown as uh, luck would have it so um We've uh, we've obviously persevered with that. We we um, paused a little bit as we came out of lockdown, but the response has been pretty good in the rest of the country. And um, given that we'd uh, we'd spent most of the cash uh, uh, getting the thing fitted out, it seemed sensible to get it um, uh, to completion. So the guys are back on there now, gently kind of going through that the final um, you know uh, polishes of the venue, and um, we've got a bit of uh, training and development to do. And then we hope to open that on the um, the bank holiday weekend at the end of this month. So yeah, we'll be at a, a kind of flat nineteen sites by. Um, uh, sorry, twenty sites. Yeah, with with the site um, uh, over in Liverpool, Ether, um, opening at the end of the month as well. Uh, okay, so you'll be back up to twenty. I'm glad that you you said you did shut one because I was a bit confused. I read a few places you had twenty, and I was counting the list on yeah. your website a few times, and I was like, I make it nineteen. What's going on there? So, yeah, I, I, I can uh, excuse myself for my shoddy maths. Um, so you've got a really big geographical spread: London, Manchester, Cardiff, Birmingham, Leeds, Nottingham, Oxford, Portsmouth, and more. Yeah. Um, so you're you're a really good barometer, I suppose, of of, of both the sort of national, uh, at least. England and, and one in Wales um, picture what what's the sort of vibe what's what's your sort of um, yeah experience I guess on customer confidence at the moment is it different in the different areas what's going out going on out there in the national picture yeah I think in terms of confidence actually it's been pretty consistent across the boards um, we were always fairly confident of, of you know bouncing back reasonably strongly because of the, the kind of user that we have in in the venue i mean along with everyone else really our, our main demographic is people aged between 18 and, and 34 years old um people without mortgages and kids and you know the rest of life's misery dragging them down there who, who are going out and kind of enjoying the offer um, fond memories yeah <laughs> yeah we um we, we do have a you know a fairly kind of broad and, and inclusive um uh, set of spaces and, and all are welcome but but that that heavy user group um you know which but by nature is a, 
a bit more of a fearless crowd and, and all the kind of um, vox popping we'd done of people through the, the lockdown period. It was it was that group that was always going to you know come out fairly swiftly, and that's that's proved to be the case. And because of that, I suppose that the, in, the inherent confidence or, or the you know the perceived lack of risk that these guys um, have anyway has meant that that you know those the measures that we put in place, which have been pretty significant, have been met well. And what we've done really is to sort of um, leverage the, the thinking that these guys have had, the, the, the feedback that they've given, the, you know, various sort of TripAdvisor and Facebook and, and Google reviews that we get that have referenced it. We've used that then in a, in a sort of set of marketing literature that's gone to um, the, the slightly more hesitant crowd. And, and we're starting to see those people um, come into the venues, um, particularly this week, as I said, with the, um, the advent of the Eat Out to Help Out scheme. So that's been good. So, um, yeah, pretty consistent in terms of feedback. We, we've made a what feels like a big concession to the um uh, uh the restrictions that have been put on us as operators and, and that's really that you can't have anybody stood sort of uh vertically drinking that that fun phrase which um always makes me laugh when i think about what the alternative is to that but yeah not not um not standing in the bar and, and not ordering drinks at the um at the counter effectively uh, and on the face of it that's that's quite a big change for us because it obviously is a big feature of what what is still really a, a bar led business but because we've we've gently sort of um, built up this this restaurant element to the business over the last 5 years actually pre covid we we trade pretty much 50-50 um uh, activity comes from a you know a fully serviced restaurant environment sat by a host three course meal served by a waiter you know full, full bells and whistles and 50% comes over the bar and and um, of that 50% of course a lot of it is loaded into the weekend so we've seen a bit of a drift on the, the Saturday numbers from a pure capacity issue, but flipping everything to a sat-down service model, um, you know, applying the, the uh, appropriate space. We have fairly big, breezy venues, um, and just by adding in a bit of furniture into the bar space, we've kept the restaurant um, offer pretty much intact, and the bar is now going at what is obviously a more gentle pace, but it's but it's working quite well from the kind of um, offer that we have. It's, it's fairly theatre-led cocktail environment so the, the pace of a kind of sat down service you know really sort of taking in the drama of the drink uh, and the quality of the drink is, is translating quite nicely and it, it actually from a sort of pure operator perspective it's, it's a much more pleasant environment to be in um what of course it, it does do is limit your ability to um to really drive profitability and efficiency through the, the venues but that's the other uh, hand we've been dealt in um and actually it's working okay and the, the sales that we've sort of seen drifting on a, on a saturday from a capacity issue are less about demand but, but as i said getting getting the kind of thousands of people through the door that we we ordinarily would have done mm. and, and flip into that um order at the table you know much, much more labor intensive unless it's app based have you, have you gone along with many others and, and developed an order at the table sort of uh, tech solution or is it still ordering from human beings yeah we, we, we've got a bit of a blend actually so we've been um we, we have uh, um, an app in the business that has um, been focused around a more sort of um part of uh, one of the range of drinks actually so it was um an, an augmented reality uh, drink you ordered the, the drink as normal and um through the the magic of this app it overlaid a filter that, that sort of animated the drink and created some very sort of shareable and, and fun content so we, we, we've had that in play for a bit and the idea of tech in in the um the space has been um quite well thought through generally when we've been looking at extending that app into something a bit more functional the, the feedback um was from guests that they didn't necessarily want the app uh, adding into what is already generally quite a full set of um, icons on the phone. So we've um, been working up a, a purely web-based solution. And um, I mean, it's nothing groundbreaking. It's a, it's a QR code, like the same as everyone else is doing. But it's um, it's been built a, a bit more sort of cleanly into the brand. And um, through through the um, uh, uh, through this web-based system, uh, you can obviously view all the menus. That's, that's the, the bigger win of it. Uh, and there is an order and pay facility to that. 
It's taken a little bit of time to, to get quite right. We've got it in four venues at the moment. We've had a couple of kinks to work out over the last couple of weeks, but it is um, is rolling out formally this weekend. And it's working really best where we've got good outside space. And, um, you, you know, by nature, it can be a little bit harder to maintain those sort of external areas and quite cost intensive. Um, so we've got uh, a balance, really. Plenty of people still um, servicing the environment, but yeah, a little bit of encouragement for outside space to, to use this web-based uh, system. And, and I think because it's, it's very usual um, for people to do that now and, and it's very easy to use. Uh, it's been really well received and we're seeing some good um, good sales chunking through at the minute. So pleased with that. A probably good example of some of the technology we've been faffing around with, frankly, um, you know, needing to be accelerated and, um, you know, um, credit to, to suppliers in that regard as well. They've, they've really got behind it and, and made it work, um, you know, for, for a very sort of specific um, environment. Mm. And is that is that linked in with your EPOS system? So I'm thinking normally, you know, people order food and, and drink and, and different bills, you know, different tickets go through to different parts of the business, depending on where the drink or where the food is made and starters on one side of the kitchen and mains the other side and stuff like that. Is it all linked in or is this a, a separate system that you've had to do some workarounds to, no, to get no, operationally smooth? Yeah, all, all integrated. We've been very, very strong with um, uh, IT suppliers um, over the last couple of years, really about the need, you know, no matter how good your product is, if it doesn't work with you know, the other things that, that make our business tick, then we're not going to give it any oxygen because it needs to be easy for the teams. You know, you can't just perpetually keep layering in these different systems. They've got one, you know, iPad for taking money, one for doing health checks, one for, you know, signing staff in. It just gets ridiculous. You know, you're looking like PC World at the front <laughs> before um, before the guests have walked through the door. So, yeah, keep keeping things simple, keeping them, you know, on, on phones as far as possible, making it quite intuitive has been a big part of it. And, yeah, of course, it's, it's a big piece of work, particularly integrating with the EPOS. And, and that point you mentioned there, you know, if you've got a, a couple of people sat around a table and, and ordering at different times, and it, it becomes quite complex from a service point of view. So that's um, that's that's been worked through. And, um, yeah, we, we've, we've seen a good response to that, actually. Um, it's just focused on drinks at the moment. Food is, is just being um, worked through. Um, so, as I said, we're, we're maintaining the restaurant environments in, in very traditional fashion it's um it's still server-led environment and um they work in sections and uh yeah people i think as much as anything else we, we, we wanted to to keep the experience as close to the to the original iteration as, as we could um uh, safely obviously and, and within the guidance but i think certainly for me one of the big misses was um you know we're all perfectly capable of making our you know meals at home and even shaking a cocktail but you know three months of sort of doing your own washing up and you, you know um flipping that around to actually being weighted on hand and foot in a restaurant is really nice actually and um of course we've got a lot of uh you know uh, very well trained very capable staff that, that wanted to be back at work and giving that experience so um yeah the, the blend of good you know human interaction at the table and, and a, a bit of useful technology has been um has been well received so far and i don't think we'll be we'll be doing too much more in terms of changing that for the for the foreseeable yeah, no, I think it's interesting. I think a lot of operators who who are probably slightly reluctant, you know, we're a human led business at the end of the day. And I think we like the thought of our, uh, you know, it's it's the uh, the human beings that bring the soul and bring those venues to life. And we want people to interact. But I've chatted to uh, Chris Gumbrell a few days ago from uh, Brewhouse and Kitchen, and, and he was really impressed. I think they'd had something like a remember the percentage uplift but it, you know, it was a decent chunk per cover extra being spent on food that they weren't getting before and it was simply because I guess you know people ordering a couple of beers at the table again on their phone but just having that option to, to chuck in some snacks and some extra food at the time was something that maybe people don't think about when they're stood at the bar but but when it pops up in front of them yeah. um, so he's had some really positive responses so he, he was quite excited about it. Yeah, I think the guys at McDonald's have made some quite interesting notes on that. When they started flipping to these um, big digital boards that you order from, that their view was that psychologically you, you kind of stood at the counter and historically had talked to you know another human being. But 
had this kind of pressure on you from the queue behind you and you know dithering at the um the counter wasn't really acceptable when you're in charge of making your own choices and you know just pressing buttons the um the spend went up so it's um yes that stands to reason really and um it's probably a a little early days in terms of sort of um really understanding the, the the data from you know what we've done in terms of spending because because we've got this slower pace to um uh, to the venues now, in, particularly in the, the bar environment, um, you know, we, we normally somebody had literally sat with a video camera and counted it up when we were working through the guidance. We had seventy-five transactions every fifteen minutes happening in, in most of the venues over the bar on a, on a peak Saturday night. Of course, we, we're getting nowhere near that now with people sort of sat in a in a slightly more sort of calm space. Um, but what they are doing is is hanging around a bit longer, you know, le- less sort of circuit bar drinking. I, I think going on at the moment, um, and um, yeah, and, and maybe choosing a, a little bit more. Um, quality and, and I dare say a, a touch more quantity as well so yeah it's it's it's, it's not been all bad I, I don't know absolutely sometimes you need a catalyst for change right so so people who don't know your venues I mean they are incredible you've got a, a phenomenal reputation for what you do uh, for people that don't know, don't know them you say you're a, you know you're a cocktail bar and a restaurant like no other what do you mean by that like no other and what is it you know describe the feel and the vibe what what makes the alchemist special yeah I, I think um First of all, that that point about being a restaurant and a bar is really important. I think there are there are quite a few people who do do it actually, and um, and, and leverage it quite nicely. Good good example would be lounges. Really, obviously, we're, we're reading a lot about those guys at the moment and the, the great business that they've got. But if, effectively, just having um, an environment where you can you know sit down and, and calmly have a, a nice three course meal, or simply go in and have a you know a drink or a cocktail. And um, we, we've been doing that for you know ten years really now. Um, fundamentally, we we are known as a bar, and and the, the crux of our offer is is a very sort of theatrical, um, smoke and mirrors style um, uh, drinks environment. Um, it's smoke and mirrors in a literal sense. We're not we're not sort of putting the wool over everyone's eyes. There is there is a lot of kind of billowing dry ice and things being set on fire and a, a lot of drama to, to what we do with the drinks. Um, but at heart, it's um it's a it's a quality drinks offer. Um, there's um, a, a good relationship with lots of the brand owners and suppliers out there. We work with you know premium products and deliver what is um, a very sort of visually interesting offer as, as well as being a very tasty drinks offer and it's good in range. Um, and then, as I said, we, we've sort of um, used that baseline to, to create um, something that is a little bit more all day. Um, I don't think, again, that we'd be doing anything that... that, that um, any good operators and thinking about the, the older sweat of the asset you know we're paying quite big rents in a lot of the spaces we're in bar activity by nature you know is kind of four o'clock onwards in, in the day and you know you get quite a short window to do your thing so um we wanted to uh, to eke out the the food side of the business um myself and, and mark our operations director have got good strong restaurant backgrounds we're, we're both out and out operators and you know, we, we, we know how to make that sort of environment tick. Um, and uh, we, we started with what was quite a, uh, a sort of afterthought in terms of a food menu, lots of sort of deep fried, good good kind of pub grub, basically, um, 40 covers in the original um, venue that, that has been um, uh, probably ticked a license box in, in the early sort of iteration of the, uh, the business, um, you know, must serve food. So, so we did. And um, we, we've just uh, sort of added a, a few quality people along the way of the, uh, the journey of the business. Um, who have helped to, to kind of shine up that food offer. Um, we've, we've taken some quite big space on, which has allowed us to um, uh, to, to create much more interesting restaurant environments. And uh, as I mentioned earlier on, we, we now have a business that um, still, you know, um, uh, post-COVID as, as well as pre, is, is basically 50% uh, restaurant activity and 50% um, uh, bar. And that, yeah. that balance itself, I think, works for us because... We, we, it allows us to draw on lots of different users to the space and, and that particularly at the minute when, when one or two of those lines of um, 
a trade have been cut off. You know, your office workers are obviously well documented to be down at the minute. So we've, we've turned our attention a bit more to um, uh, local residents and, um, and and sort of um, shoppers, people who are in town for different reasons. So, so that's been good. And then really, yeah, we, we, we have um, done, again, the, the thing that we any kind of conference you've been to in the last five years has told you to do, have a different, have a unique offer, you know, stand out from the marketplace. And we've just stood by this idea of doing something a little bit more theatrical, a little bit more fun, not, not taking the, the offer too seriously um, or <laughs> appearing to not take the offer too seriously, but a bit irreverent in what we do um, and, and making sure that it's a joyful and, uh, and, and fun experience for anyone walking through the doors. But um, underneath the water, of course, going 19 to the dozen to make sure that it is very slick in terms of sort of service-led um, system and process-driven environment that, that ensures you get that consistency right around the country. And from this sort of northwest heartland that we've had, we've been able to push, um, you know, uh, a message out um, right around the country, as, as you pointed out there, and, and particularly into London, which is is not something that has necessarily been done that often or, or that well by um, by operators from the north. So that's been been quite a proud moment. Of course, um, London is burning to the ground at the moment, as we know. <laughs> yeah, we do that strategy. No, yeah. really, it's um, it, it, it's obviously um, yeah, going going through a lot of challenges at the minute. We all know the kind of um, the office occupation figures and um, the, the the tourism that's coming into the country, which London is is so sort of um predicated upon. But um, it's it's improving each week, and um, you know, I keep talking about the Eat Out initiative. That's that's been a big help again this week, and we started off with um, quite quite a quite a distinction really between the particularly the central London sites and, and what was happening in the big regional cities in terms of um, sales activity and that, that number is narrowing each week and um, I'm, I'm really confident actually you spend any time in, in London or any major city centre really there is there's plenty of life in those sorts of environments to come um, you know I totally subscribe to the idea that people are going to work a little bit differently um, but I think that will affect um <laughs> People like Pret or, or perhaps an all-bar one, guys that are, that are working on, on kind of critical mass and, and weight of numbers, um, with all respect to what they do, they, they obviously do their thing brilliantly, but it's it's about convenience a lot for those guys. And I think if you've, if you've got something that is a, is a bit more interesting and, and, a, and a bit different, then, then people are still going to be happy to travel into the, the spaces. And yeah, to, to your original point, London is a bit behind the region, but he's catching up um, each day. And um, even in, we've got some, some fairly good cities um city of london locations one just off liverpool street and it's it's numbers are really healthy certainly um certainly above where we we kind of reset our our, our expectations and um yeah it's yeah that's it's, that's good to hear mm. um I, but before we we move on and i'll come back to some of those points that you raised but um just staying on that 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 food thing it's a really difficult thing to pull off for somebody to feel as comfortable in a venue uh having a cocktail and, and some drinks at night you know and the, the music's a little bit louder and it's a bit of a party vibe or coming in for a coffee and and a breakfast or even a, a you know a light lunch maybe with a colleague done right which you guys do you know the, the venues just feel like like they can pull off both but that's mm. it's actually really difficult how much of that now comes into the design you know sort of from day one how do you make a, a space feel as good in the morning as it does in in the evening and and do you do you put a lot of work in does the lighting and the music sort of change throughout the day i suppose to change the vibe which presumably people wouldn't consciously notice but actually you're doing a lot of the work behind the scenes to make that space feel different absolutely yeah i, I think that the, the space is really important and it is, is a 
a very significant part of the design process. Um, first of all, we'd, we'd look for somewhere that is generally able to, to get light into the space. It's much easier to, um, if, if you've got a very kind of traditional late night bar environment, quite, you know, sort of underground, um, be it one sort of style offer, then that, that is always going to be hard to encourage people into during the, the daytime. So we'd always look for a kind of ground level premise, premises or at least a ground level entrance um, and um, uh, and uh, let the kind of the natural daylight do its do its work through the day. Um, yeah, the curation of, of sort of music playlists. I mean, this is going to come as a surprise to no one. It, it, it sort of um, uh, is, is in three quite distinct day parts. There's a, a fairly cheery um, uh, Mark, our, our ops director, calls it sort of um, having Radio Two on in the background in, in the morning. You know, sort of poppy stuff that you remember from the the nineties, nice and light. And again, you know, not not taking itself too seriously. Is that PDD playing? Yeah, that's PDD playing. Great. Um, and, and, and obviously, as, as we kind of go through the afternoon, that, that sort of pairs back to a, a bit more kind of sort of slightly recognisable tunes that you're not necessarily sure what it is, but it's a, it's a riff on, you know, something that you've definitely heard somewhere else. And then as we get into the evening, you know, sort of nine o'clock, 10 o'clock into the proper late night element, um, pre-COVID certainly, we, we, we'd have DJs on that would be lifting the atmosphere up a, a little bit um, um, more significantly and um yeah not not sort of playing out and out bangers but but if um people wanted to get up and have a bit of a dance state they certainly could so yeah you're just um you're you're using the kind of um uh, we call it litmus uh, lighting temperature and music to, to kind of determine people's behavior and it's it's quite it's quite easy to control that um when, when you've got a bit of space to work with lighting obviously plays a part um not, nothing too clever there really um, we, we just sort of, as, as the night wears on, it, it gets a bit darker and you, you, you make people feel like they're in a slightly more illicit space. And, you know, by nine or 10 o'clock, most evenings, people are a little bit more sort of cheery in their thinking and, and not necessarily doing illicit things, but, um, yeah, you know, are, are a bit freer to, to kind of enjoy um, more of the atmosphere. Where we'd started to um, to develop this idea last year was to, to build in a, a bit more of um, uh, the lighting into um, the, the kind of... Um, Theatre construction is probably starting to sound a bit wanky now in terms of how we go about it, but we, we try to keep this sort of theatre serve principle as, as our kind of guiding um, uh, light in, in terms of how we go about anything we do in the business. That it's, it's going to have some sort of um, wow factor for the guests, um, and, and a site we, we took in Brindley Place, which is um, probably a, a little bit counter to, to what I said initially. There was 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 a um, part of the city that was really based around uh, nighttime activity but we got a you know we, we got a good rent deal on it and uh, we, we had a sister venue in, in a much more sort of daytime low part of the city so we're quite confident taking it on but we, we wanted to embrace that idea of nighttime so we built a, a bit more of an integrated sort of lighting and, and smoke system into it so it's it's got some sort of nightclub features without being an, a nightclub it's um it, it sort of takes you back where you can have a little bop in your seat if you're a bit more older and, and tired and, and you don't have to feel like you're um yeah you're, you're kind of missing out on a, on a good night out even if you just sat down and, and some of that has obviously then translated through to this this new world that we're operating in yeah have you um macaulay sinclair i think we share a designer with those guys because they designed a couple of my venues have, they, have you used those on a number of venues or just one or but pretty much everywhere actually to, today yeah so um they've been re- really good actually um I'm trying to think where we came. Oh, uh, it was when we were re- refurbishing the original site, actually. We, we took a sort of secondary space and, and we're, we're building through. So uh, kind of inherited them from the uh, the founders of the business. But um, from from that position, really, we, we started off on a, on a journey t- t- together and um, growing into our own understanding of, of what the um, uh, the brand was, was going to look and, and feel like. Um, uh, they have excellent reputation in the marketplace, rightly so, because they're, you know, very sort of... Um, uh, 
very interesting and very innovative in terms of design. I think there are some some hallmarks that you'll you'll recognise. You know, if, if you've got that slightly sort of uh, trained eye and, and you've worked with them, you, you you know, you know, if you're in a Dishoom or a Hawksmoor, you, you can you can spot some of the uh, the traits. But I think they um they, they really tweak that to to make each particular brand sing. And um, uh, really good example actually. I've, I've been to um, a couple of the Dishooms sort of post COVID in London and in Manchester, and they've they've done some very nice kind of uh, screening additions into the venues, which are, are really kind of tied to the original uh, narrative and um yeah I, th- I think when you've got somebody who is well used to thinking creatively and you perhaps come from a bit more of an operational background it's good to, to buddy up with these people and um yeah and make some music together so um it's good. It comes- yeah no they're, they're, they're very good in fact yeah my urban reef restaurant down on the beachfront is, is a very different vibe to another one that they did with me jenkins and sons one's an old school sort of you know historic butchers and one's very much about a sort of slightly tongue-in-cheek sort of play on on british beachside with a uh, beach hut sort of you know hanging from the ceiling as a toilet and stuff like that so yeah they're, they're, they're good guys I, I really enjoyed working with them um you've mentioned a couple of times this theater served and i love it because it's so simple but you can see when you look on your your branding and website come into a venue it, it clearly uh, gives you those sort of guiding principles for so much of what you do but but it's so simply summarized how, how long have you been using those sort of two words to guide the business and, and, and where did they come from probably about five years now so a, a little bit less time than I've, I've been directly involved with the business um, and basically when you when you you do a kind of a growth piece like we've done you, you, you start with what is already going to be a good concept if, you, if you've convinced you know some investors to come in and, and you've got a couple of sites open and it's working in, in a couple of different parts of the world then as long as you don't come too far away from from what you've done right in the first place um in, in, including all the kind of operational control paranoia that goes with that then you, you've got a good shot at, at kind of making that thing work so what tends to happen i think is that people have this concept and then maybe start thinking oh we need to you know make a couple of changes to to, to let it work down the road or they won't like that in this city because you know they think like this and I, and I think if you've got something that is fundamentally good then it's just a case really of staying true to that and, and polishing up as appropriate and if, if you can keep your main thing as your main thing which for us is is cocktails and and a certain amount of, of sort of wonder that comes with them then anything else that you choose to do whether it's in design or music or food or you know operating style um it, it it doesn't matter as much as, as as long as that original thing is is held onto and can you have a kind of a, a guide. But we went through a really um, as as you tend you start working with private equity and they get you thinking about you know lots of different ways of, of sort of evolving the business, uh, or at least they think they do. And um, w- one of the things that we were quite keen to do was to start sort of building the the brand element of things. I, I talked a bit to um to Mark McCulloch. We were talking earlier on with me about um having had a, a, a similar conversation. And um we we really I mean we sat in um, Soho Works and and you know had a big kind of roll of uh, brown parcel tape up on the wall and. Um, uh, parcel paper, sorry, on the wall, and, uh, and uh, facilitated kind of talking us through, you know, what what kind of car would the Alchemist be if it was a car, and some of it was, was you know, bonkers, frankly, but it, it got us thinking a little bit more abstractly about the uh, the brand and, and some of the things that were important. I'd heard um, uh, Karen Jones, who obviously, you know, big kind of sector luminary, talk about the need to understand what your business is in in a single sentence. It's no good just being a bar, you know, what sets you apart, and um, we, we had this this sort of um, yeah, this this idea of theatre. Um, in fact, it came from a, a, a review from a guest. Uh, somebody had, had sort of put a TripAdvisor or, or one of these sorts of things together that said, if you, if you want to know what the drinks are like here, it's like theatre in a glass. And we thought, mm, yeah, sounds good. And we, we just have, have developed that in lots of different ways. It, it, it was at a time when we were doing a lot of 
onboarding of people. We were opening a lot of sites, so we were we were doing a lot of induction and, and kind of uh, onboarding of people, and um, we, we wanted to sharpen the message up in, in terms of what they should expect when they came into the venue. We wanted to um, to be a bit clearer in terms of our marketing, how we were we kind of communicating to guests, doing that thing that, that marks us out as different from from other operators. And it just became um, something that, that um, you know, we worked very hard at it. But once we got these two words together, theatre served, we started putting it everywhere, strap lines on, you know, PowerPoint presentations in the marketing literature, bottom of email signatures. And once you do that, if you, if you think about a lot of the big brands, you know, Nike, Just Do It, um, uh, Burger King, Have It Your, you know, people have got these kind of couple of uh, messages that sort of sit alongside the, the brand name and, you um, it's reasonably easy to understand, I think, and that helps. Um, it, it, it can be sort of literally applied. We opened a, a site on St. Martin's Lane a couple of years ago in, in the West End, you know, heart of Theatreland, and we made a lot of play to it there. Um, but when we open a site in Cheltenham next month, we'll, we'll have, um, you know, a couple of sort of um, uh, performance things going on in the venue. Um, it's not normally as literal as that, but it will just help to land that message. And it gives people something to keep coming back to. It helps us make decisions at very senior management level. And it helps, um, you know, recruitment at a, at a very kind of localised site level as well. It's, um, it's, been a, it's been a really useful tool. And, and anyone who's kind of on that journey, I would encourage them to sit down and have a think about what their, their unique part of it is and just, just try and hang on to it. Mm. Do you, um, does that customer realise what an impact they have? Have they got a credit anywhere? Um, let's say yes, shall we? <laughs> <laughs> Just in case they're listening. Yeah. Um, okay, no, it's brilliant. I, I think it works really well. It's a great summary. Uh, so you, you, you sort of mentioned this just now as well, and it's probably more the other way around normally. Lots of London kind of concepts try to move up to Manchester, and I always think it's fascinating uh, how they don't work and, and what the sort of cultural differences are, and, and then you can sort of operate as like Hawksmoor who put a lot of time and energy into trying to understand the nuances between different cities. As, as you said, you know, you're the other way around. You're a, a northern powerhouse heading south. So I'm interested to know, did, did you have to learn and do things differently and, and either, you know, at the time or now with what you've learned, you know, what, what are the sort of differences you need to be aware of between, yeah, north and south, I suppose? Yeah, I, I, I think um, that the Hawksmoor reference is a really good one actually there because um, when they opened in Manchester, certainly, um, you know, they, they took some time to get really under the skin of the business and um, they, they had people operating up here um good you know six months 12 months before getting the venue open and, and vice versa i think they, they took a couple of people from manchester down to london to get you know uh, in line with the brand um i imagine there's some poor chap in new york who's been there for about five years now trying mm. to get the rhythm of that you're right yeah definitely yeah uh, for us we same same sort of principle really we we'd, um, actually had a site down in london that had, had uh, come about um through a, a, a fairly kind of uh, uh backdoor property deal that that seemed like a good idea at the time and was uh, at a point when the uh, the founders were getting venues open very quickly and um so we had a bit of a a test case and that had taken its own bit of tweaking and we we needed to um uh to to get a little bit of a handle on that the the danger is i think when you're when you're working geographically is that your your tendency is to sort of get on that first off-peak train out of manchester you know spend the day you know in the site and then get on the first off-peak back up to um uh to your original city and you're perhaps not seeing the full scope of what a trading day looks like if, if you're taking that approach so we knocked that out quite quickly uh, and basically just just committed to the project um we, we had um been quite careful and quite deliberate about plotting a path um uh, out of manchester m62 corridor leads in liverpool down to birmingham you can get at everything fairly easily so we we left london in, in the majority um until we were a little more comfortable and confident in the operation and then we, we picked up sticks. I mean, as literal as I, I moved down there myself for uh, for eighteen months into into the city, um, 
uh, really getting to know um, uh, landlords and, and letting agents, um, trying to um, you know get a proper handle on on the rhythm of, of the city. Um, obviously, we all understand that. It, it does trade differently to different parts of the, the country. Everywhere else has really got a model that's, that's sort of built on, you know, dumpty dumpty dum across six days of the week, and then Saturday comes and it's you know crash bang wallop, and that's that's sort of fifty percent of your trade, and then you you kind of back to the, you know, the dumpty dumpty dum for the for the other six days. In London, of course, it's a much flatter sort of style of trading because you've got such a weight of numbers on the street Monday right through to Sunday. So so the the, the trading environment and and the way that you you have to operate against that is is different. You know what what is a you know, a kind of busy Friday night in, in Liverpool, say, is probably a fairly standard Monday in, in um, certain parts of London. So taking time to understand that. Um, I don't think that people be- behave particularly differently in, once they're in the venue. Um, you know, the idea that, that sort of, you know, everyone's running around on corporate cards and the streets are paid with gold and, you know, money's no object doesn't doesn't really stand true. People are still looking for value, certainly at our, our end of the market. So I, I think a lot of the stuff that we, we had generally um, – uh, look to build out of the northern business, if you like, the um, uh, the quality uh, and and the sort of um, price sensitivity um, index was was really important. You've got a bit more leverage in terms of pricing, but it still needs to be good in terms of what's being offered. Um, one of the reasons we ended up sharpening and and um, improving our food offer was what the feedback we got in London. That the feedback was very clear that versus the uh, the drinks, the, the the quality of the food offer was was a long way from where it needed to be. So that that really helped us to sort of move on that. But I think, and also, as with any city, you, you have to know, it's no good just saying, right, we're going to take the brand to London and, I don't know, um, a, a London postcode, you know, being the, the, the answer to that. They're obviously, you know, it's it's, it's kind of a, a series of cities within a city, isn't it, almost? And, you know, needing to be not necessarily on, on absolutely the right street. Um, I've heard uh, Charlie at Inception Group use the phrase that you, you just need to be in the right postcode. If you've got something that's interesting, as long as you're, you're in the right vicinity, you can pull people to you. It's not about footfall and, and generally the kind of rent levels that you, you pay for that footfall. Um, but you've, you've got to know where, where kind of people are, are, are moving and are, and are happy to kind of interact with. And that's really helped us to, to sort of um, to understand what goes on in there. Um, we've, we've also then established, uh, as I've gone down initially, um, we, we brought a, a, an operations team down. We, we have a very... Uh, operationally focused business in the north and, and that's partly because we spend a lot of time in the sites because we're all here and around and we, and we enjoy it so we wanted to make sure that we were replicating that in london we convinced a couple of good people to you know make the jump to the big city and and, and go down there and, and get under the skin of things and i think that 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 sort of um objectivity um to, to the site-by-site stuff but, but having a, a kind of inherent um, touch point in in what the main business is around has been really useful and then, um, as I said, I mean, I'm you know getting back into the rhythm of that. But um, pre-COVID, certainly, I'd be down there a couple of days a week um, myself. Um, not not you know doing checks and measures, but more sort of looking for the next um, next space to, to go into really, and, and talking to people around the city. So much of the sector, obviously, is is kind of built out of there anyway. It's very easy to sort of build that into your working month, um, and you know catching up with uh, other operators and, and just taking on some of that experience. I, I think that what you need to do. With any sort of development plan is, is commit to it properly and you know that's in time and resource and um and money yeah true yeah well congratulations on, on pulling it off and, and i think one of the key reasons that really wherever you go um you get this sort of instantaneous fan base and, and following is is the strength and power not not just of what you deliver but also the brand that sits behind it which yeah. is really strong has that branding evolved much and it's kind of that I mean, you can describe it sort of that dark arts kind of magical 
uh, space, I suppose. But yeah, has that has that stayed pretty consistent since venue one, or has that very much come about in the latter stages? Yeah, it's certainly been shined up in the latter stages, and I and I think that the, the bigger you get, the, the easier that is to do because the the, the reference points are all you know there's there's more of them around, so more more people are aware of them. Um, originally, yeah, I, I think um, it was probably a case of scanning the dictionary and finding a, a cool name. You know, it's um it's in the A's, and um, yeah, the alchemist that sounds good. Oh yeah, we could build something around that. That's pro- probably where the, the the concept originally sprung from. Um, and and I think as that's gone on, we've we've sort of taken some of the slightly more sort of disjointed, a bit kind of medieval, you know, actual sort of alchemist idea and, and made it something a little bit more, um, it's been through a couple of iterations. It, 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 it was quite sciencey for a, for a time. Um, and that was informing some of the design in the venues. It felt we got to a stage where a lot of our contemporaries have maybe caught up a little bit in terms of the design. I mean, I'm not saying we were necessarily sort of, uh, you know, blazing a, a, a trail, but it came a point when it was bit hard to determine whether whether you're in a you know a dirty martini a, a beat one a manhattan an alchemist you know all, all sort of looking a little bit uh, similar so we, we kicked on a bit again um two or three years ago in terms of design and, and took the um took the uh the, the sort of sciencey um fairly monochrome um and and, and goldy feel into a bit more color and um the, the newer sites that we've done have, have felt a bit more um in, in kind of uh, the, the zodiac and astrology, um, embracing those sorts of ideas, um, it's allowed us to introduce a little bit more colour in, in the venue and um, and still sort of stay true to some of those sorts of um, theatrics that um, that, have, that have worked quite nicely. What 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 having a, a good footprint around the country and, and a you know decent sort of social media following and, and quite an engaged crowd has meant that we've been able to to build on that brand and it's been particularly useful during the um, the, uh, the the lockdown period when we haven't been able to, to trade sites that so we've been able to, to think a little bit more about our, our uh, online presence and and what we might do to leverage that. So we've started building up a little bit of a retail profile. Um, we have actually been uh, plugging away on on a book uh, in the in the background, um, a, a, a nice sort of coffee table piece, which is um, you know in, in the, the last throws are being put together. Um, we've um, we've started thinking about how we might take the brand out of the four walls and, and get it into um, a sort of supermarket or um, retail environments. And um, yeah, ha- having a brand in in the sort of truer sense of the word has, has been is is what I hope will allow us to sort of continue to grow the business without necessarily being um, stuck on the idea of, of that needing to be through through bricks and mortar. I think the um yeah the the, the kind of mindset change to um, a, a bit more retail presence and getting into people's homes um is, is something that it is yeah exciting actually for it definitely i think if we've learned anything in the last few months in in hospitality it probably is that uh, that that need as much as anything to diversify but there's been a few people who've, who've done it really well so clearly there is an opportunity and i can see your brand yeah three-dimensionally in in sort of supermarkets or delis i think it would work really well um i, I want to touch a little bit then uh, on your uh, background you, you you spoke of sort of where the concept came from and you had a fairly classical route into hospitality and the fact that you know you got a job in a bar when you were at uni and it ended up being full-time yeah. uh, and sort of evolved but at, at what point did you did it go from okay this is my sort of uni job to you know what I might actually fancy a career in this sector yeah I, I, th- I think like a lot of people I, I've got to believe that most people who work um you know in the sector have a similar kind of story really I, I think very few people kind of grow up dreaming of it but but that's perhaps something that, that needs to be changed because it's it's one of the most rewarding one of the most interesting uh uh, and diverse jobs you can do and, and I think that that goes right away from sort of operations to, to you know to, to very senior management like I'm doing now I think basically I'd um uh, I'd done what you said I'd done the uni job and, and kind of followed a bit of a path through that 
I got to the stage um, just before I, I turned 30 where I was probably getting a little um, fatigued by it. Um, I still very much uh, in, in operational role there at, at GM at the time. Um, you know, busy venues, lots of late nights, later nights that, that tend to come with that, that sort of environment because you finish work and you go out to whatever's sort of going later. And, you know, you, you miss a lot of stuff as well, I think, in hospitality, um, weddings and christenings and all this sort of stuff that goes on in the in the real world. And, um, yeah, just just decided it was, was due a bit of a break. So uh, perfectly kind of amicably agreed that that sort of change had, had done what a lot of people do working in, in um, you know, branded and chain businesses and, and move around the country to sort of follow promotions. So wasn't tied to any particular part of, of the country and um, wasn't, wasn't tied particularly to the job. It didn't feel like at that stage, it was more a kind of um, work to live scenario. Uh, I went out to um, Australia to do a bit of um, uh, a bit of traveling, tooled a bit around Southeast Asia and then um, sort of camped up in, uh, in in Manly in Sydney for um, for nine months and just took a bit of stock. Didn't work in hospitality over there, did a, did a very sort of very nine to five job that, that allowed you to kind of uh, hop on the ferry home and, and completely sort of forget about the working day. And it was good. It was a, it was a bit of a reset, really. It, it confirmed a couple of things that I was um, uh, in need of a break and, and it had taken one at the right time, um, but but also just reaffirmed the fact that there was um, a, a real pull to hospitality and at the end of that nine-month period, is very ready to go back. It coincided happily with um, uh, the guys at Living Ventures who I, who I had been working for previously, um, Tim, the, the um, sadly passed now, but the, the founder of the business, um, uh, sent me a note while I was out there saying that we've, we've got this project happening in Manchester. When, when are you going to be back? It's, it's going to be a bit different. It's going to be right out there. And, um, you know, do, do you fancy it if, if, you, if the timing works? Uh, and it was the uh, the Australasia venue, which was a bit of a pet project of his, quite a game changer at the time, certainly for Manchester, you know, a business sort of based um, on sushi, which was a bit um, unknown, small plates, which was still a, you know, a new thing in, in 2010. And um, yeah, and just just a bit sort of elevated from from perhaps the um, uh, the, the the kind of restaurants they've been trading through the you know the recessionary period prior to that. So um, it, it came together quite serendipitously, really. I was I was coming back in the new year, and, and the, the timings worked. So I moved, moved up to Manchester and, and took that on. Obviously, the guys knew me well from sort of the, the previous working life, and had somebody that they didn't really have to train, which would have been attractive, I think, at that stage. And um, yeah, somebody who was who was refreshed and recharged and ready to go. And once that opened, by nature, obviously, was, was very involved in not just the, the kind of the management of the space, which is what tends to happen in, in big businesses. You get given a set of processes and you follow them, really. And to, to the best of your ability, you, you know, you make waves. And um, here there was there was something brand new, different service style, different kind of customer, um, different uh, offering, um, much more involved with the, the kind of upper echelons of the business and the decision making. And it, it just... Um, uh, as I said, came, came back very recharged and very ready to, to cut a career out of it, ready to take the opportunities when they came. I was working with a group of people who who were building a lot of stuff and were at the forefront of innovation at the time in, in, in the, the Manchester world, certainly. And um, and then uh, ultimately, they, they sort of uh, hit on this kind of exit plan, which was taking the, you know, four or five concepts that they had, getting them to a critical mass selling a you know a decent chunk to um, private equity or, or venture capital investment um, uh, when the appropriate time came and um, once, once you'd sort of cut your teeth and had that that in um, the, the big sell for the um, the PE guys coming in was that they were not just buying a, you know an established concept with the ability to grow but they were getting with it somebody who really understood um, you know the thinking behind the business there was a transition period of, of sort of services that you could draw upon so you know, um, accounting and marketing was taken care of by the selling business initially. And then 
as, as you kind of went forward with the journey, as, as I did in 2015, you started to separate away from that, build your own function. And um, yeah, got, got all the fun of growing a business without necessarily the the, the heartache of the the first sort of site and the first twelve or eighteen months of that. So it's um it's been good really. I, I think twenty years I'm, I'm coming up to now working in hospitality and um yeah still still really having had that break in the middle of it and sort of resetting what was important and, and recognizing what fun could be had out of it and, and ultimately I suppose you know what 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 opportunity comes with it. It's um yeah it's been a good journey and being so close to it in terms of an operation and and, and the kind of reference points not being a million miles away in, in the memory I think is is useful for the team of people that we've been able to develop through the business as well um, because we've been growing those opportunities have come around very quickly so we've been able to put people into you know quite senior operations management roles who are you know perhaps only in, in GM roles you know six months nine months previously and um, that, that's been really good we, we sort of work on the assumption that ultimately we know what we're doing we've got we've got a good hand on the tiller and we'd rather put the, the, the kind of growth of the business in the hands of people that have been in it for a, for a long time and believe it rather than sort of out and out experience and that that energy flows right through the business I think we've um I won't say I've got a few gray hairs but we're all just about the right side of 40 and um yeah we, we we've got the, the kind of zest and ambition that means we want to continue to grow and we got quite ambitious with that pre-COVID. I mean, we're, we're picking up those conversations gently now, but we've, we've started quite a, a long deep line program of, of thinking about getting the business out overseas through a sort of franchise or, or JV arrangement and um, hope to pick that up in the fullness of time. Talked a bit about the kind of retail development we were doing. Um, I suspect that there is good opportunity um, coming up in the next few months to, to look at maybe a, an acquisition. There'll be a lot of um, businesses who might be looking for a bit of an out at a slightly lower level than they um, would have been comfortable with a year ago so i think yeah being ready to to sort of um um you know to meet opportunity when it comes along is, is a key part of being a good operator and um yeah happy to have had those opportunities when they've come along yeah no it's a good way of doing it like you say because you you clearly have the entrepreneurial flair that would often come from more of a sort of you know startup journey i suppose mm. but but something that living ventures do presumably it, it encourages this sort of much broader view of the business whether it be brand or marketing or hr or finance or you know all too often if you're if you're heavy in a gm you're very much ops based i suppose but were, were living ventures very conscious did they have a sort of you know entrepreneurial-esque kind of training program or was it literally you just you just pick up the skills on the job and it ended up being a bit more serendipity yeah i i, I think conscious is, is probably i mean I'll, I'll probably get a clip um for, for saying this but i'm not sure how much um actual uh, a kind of thought was going into it but you, you had a lot of exposure to, to lots of different elements of the business once you got into to the operations management role and you were looking after three or four venues or, or concepts then you were doing a bit of everything obviously very very hands-on out and out operations but also um a little bit of um marketing through the um the, the sort of key marketing meetings that we would have on a monthly basis and dealing with PR partners. You'd do some accounting through, you know, sitting in a, in a sort of monthly dressing down with the uh, the FD. Um, you'd obviously do a lot of HR by, by nature of, of the, the sector and the, the way it was growing. Um, yeah, so you, you've got a handle on everything. And I think that that sort of 360 understanding and, and, and breadth of, um, of, of seeing sort of every side of the beach ball is, is really valuable, actually, when you get into the, to the, to the sort of senior role um, that I'm in now. It means that you're, you're getting everyone's point of you really um really clearly and um and and knowing which which sort of agenda needs pushing and, and when and um yeah I, I think we I, I will say now that we're a little bit more sort of structured in the way that we develop people um uh, I think we've, we've obviously got a lot of specialists in the business now because of the size and scale we're at so um th- those areas are perhaps getting the, the right amount of uh, focus and oxygen that they need at the right times 
and, and the senior people in the business are, are respecting all elements of that because of the, the background they've been on. So, yeah, like, like with any good sort of entrepreneurial organisation, it's really valuable actually doing you know, little bits of everyone's job. Um, but I think if you're serious about them moving into the sort of next stage, and we, we would count ourselves firmly now as a kind of medium-sized business, then you, you need to have um, quality and experienced people. Some some of those would have come up to the business, but you know the the, the really sort of key functions, um, finance would be a good example, property would be another. You know, you, you you need qualified experts to do that. But what you need to do is to make sure that those people come in and really understand what the main thing of the business is. Their own agenda can't override, you know, the the, the thing that, that makes you what you are. Happy, mm. you know. So it's it's been useful to again, you know, back to that sort of branding piece and reminding you know even our, our property agents when they're out there looking for sites you know are we going to be able to do what we do in this space is there the, 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 the kind of demographic that's going to buy into what we're doing um you know are we going to be able to serve that theater and um yeah it, it does work yeah no it's good and and, and in venue wise so, so your drinks are sort of uh i don't know you know, genuine sort of alchemy i suppose that you say you've got lots of dry ice lots of theater it's it's not the sort of thing you know your, your average barman's just going to walk in off the street and go yeah i can pour a couple of pints do you tend to do you have an internal sort of training program for your mixologists or do, do you only recruit uh experienced yeah uh, barmans? i mean absolutely the uh the, the training program regardless of background is is absolutely second to none um on the bar i mean um i, I won't say that we don't put our, our chef and our service through you know good good papers but the, the bar is such a, a long sort of journey to, to really get to the upper end of it i mean th- th- this has been done historically there was a, a in tgi fridays with a kind of a, a original version I, I suppose you know they had a, a grand wizard i think or something you, you ended up being at tgi fridays when you're really top of your bar game so a, anyone who comes in our business you know straight away it's a it's a three-week um uh, shadow training program that is is sort of fairly diligently tested and um and tracked <laughs> to borrow a phrase um uh, along the um the, the induction journey um before they get anywhere near a customer um and then uh, from there really it's um it, it's anything up to sort of two three years following um the the, the master bartender program through we're um well supported by the you know the um, supplier community who who obviously are, are very keen to kind of push their their expertise and experience and uh, and, and interaction um uh, through the venues in various training programs um we, we've got a lot of expectation not just on you know the, the the quality of drinks but the quality of the the bar how it's maintained and, and there's quite a bit of training involved with that how they develop and and um uh, and engage the, the people that are working beneath them you know the the, the barbacks and the glass collectors is part of the thinking so again just trying to to provide a really sort of robust training program that is that is perpetual really that, that you're always learning in some form whether it's you know the, the, the kind of more interesting interactive stuff through the brand owners or whether it's the more sort of um formal um people management stuff so we, we yeah we're just trying to arm these people with um in, you know uh, a, a much wider skill set and being able to mix a good drink a lot of the drinks that we do you know is sort of joking apart from the the smoke and mirrors is quite a bit of um science and and um and potentially, if, if it's not handled the right way, quite a bit of risk in, in what we do as well. Um, so doing things safely has, has always been a, a really important watchword. It's not the, the sexy side of the business, but it's, it's done at heart. And um, and obviously, g- given the kind of environment we've come back to, has, has been a really useful part of the, of the thinking. We've not had to encourage too much need of, of sort of clean hands and, and um, you know, sanitization of everything, because that's, that's basically what we've been doing, you know, time immemorial anyway. 
Yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah, it, it's a, you'd think if any sector was safe, it would be us in the fact that we've uh, we've always been in that I- environment. Um, I'm, I'm sort of conscious of time, and there's a couple of other quick things that I want to dip into and, and, and hop around. One is because you've got sort of such, such a broad estate over such a big geographical area, uh, I'm guessing you must have a lot of different landlords. And, and one of the key things that keeps coming up at the moment with regards to, I suppose, the, f- the future of hospitality and, and how we come through this uh, particularly challenging period is this accrued debt uh, whilst we were closed and and rent negotiations what's your experience been uh, has it been very different and are, are there any kind of nuggets of wisdom for everybody who's coming to the end of that sort of you know rent moratorium uh, have, have you heard any sort of good solutions where you go look I think this is a really a really good uh, a- approach or even used any yourselves yeah I, I think it, we have got a lot of landlords and and the, the the one thing that we have done from the very outset really is make sure that we've got a, a line of communication and a, and a channel to them um, and initially of course that was just to say look um we don't really know what's happening here but you're gonna have to whistle for that um you know quarter two paycheck that um, we owed you at the end of march because we just we, we don't know what's going on so uh, bear with us you know we, we, we will make that right in the fullness of time but for now um we're not paying you rather than just you know not paying it so that 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 sort of established a a line of communication with everyone some people very quickly very sort of sympathetic to that situation others perhaps less so um and and i think the 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 key thing to all this has been sort of flexibility from the outset i I think the situation particularly in the early stages if if you remember back to sort of how we went into lockdown the uncertainty that went with that particularly you know pre the the um, job retention scheme being announced it was a very very fraught time and um while landlords weren't necessarily sort of top of the thinking at that stage, I think just just sort of taking that time to to connect with them has been good. Uh, and we've continued to do that through the the piece really. We've we've done you know incessant and, and necessary modelling of the business. Um, like everyone, you know, we're, we're going to have a, a working capital gap to to fulfil. Um, uh, you know, that's not solved by just simply getting the, the venues back open. There's a big kind of credit unwind um, that that needs to happen, and um, we, we've had good engagement from all of our stakeholders, not just the landlords, in terms of you know, agreeing payment plans. Um, I think in terms of what's being agreed, it, it, it is quite difficult to assume that, that there's a, a kind of blanket answer and this is perfectly the, the, the reason that the, the government haven't got involved in it and don't uh, intend, I don't think, to, to get involved with it any more formally than they have done. Um, I have seen that the most sort of sensible solution that's been proposed is, is Rogers at Box Park, which talks about a more equitable three-way split, um, landlords, um, tenant and, and the government taking kind of a third each of, of pain, if you like. Um, it, it still feels like it's it's too broad and too clunky a, 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 an environment for the, for the government really to intervene in. And I think in, in fairness to them, I won't necessarily say I've been the, the biggest fan of how they've handled the, the kind of macro situation, but in terms of hospitality focus, I think they have cleared a pretty good path for us. You know, a lot of the things we've been bleating about as a sector for a long time now have been taken care of. You know, business rates have been a problem fundamentally. Okay, well, we've got, you know, 12 months kind of grace on that, maybe some more to come. Um, the cost of food has been a problem. Okay, well, here's a here's a VAT break for you guys. And, and that's been, you know, really well thought through. All right, guys, well, you know, early week trading has been difficult. You know what? We've thought about that too. Here's an eat-out scheme and, you know, we're going to pay for that. And, and in fact, we're going to market it for you. What else you got? It's like, well, that really kind of leaves the landlord. So I think now more than ever, particularly at the sort of stage we're at, you know, with with the sort of um, the, the next quarter, still a couple of months away, but but looming, certainly. Um, you, if you haven't had that communication with the landlord already, then it, it, it needs to happen. And it, it, it might even be too late for that now. The, the worry, I think... Uh, we're finding is that we'd, we'd sort of agreed some 
fairly sensible solutions and mostly you know uh, around deferrals the odd the odd waiver from from landlords have been capable of doing that um but but certainly sort of pushing the the, the pain out a little bit and setting up sensible payment plans as and when we come back to life but i think so many people now are, are kind of um moving towards the cva process right rightly or wrongly and and that sort of stick that, that is, is generally used to bash the landlords with is is something that they're quite quite fearful of so getting anything consensually agreed now um you know with, with the threat of the cba down the road is, is going to be harder to do i think so um yeah I, I, all i can really say is is um you know c- communication and, and just respect the fact that, that different landlords are going to have different drivers and we, we you know we right through from big institution you know pension contact things to proper kind of mom and pop landlords and um We've talked to all of them um, repeatedly and, and regularly, and um, and as the situation's unfolding, and, and as we've sort of you know made plain our own commitments as a management team, and you know been been open about our investment structure, and you know what what the kind of PNL impact of, of trading like we're going to have to trade for the next six months means, we've generally found that people have have bought into the idea of being on that journey. Um, it helps, I think, that we're at the, the the front end really of a lot of our leases. You know, we've got you know twenty years plus on, on most of the. Uh, uh, the, the venues that we're in so we, we we've tried to make plain that we're in it for the long haul you know made that point that we're, we're quite young as a management team we're not going anywhere in, in the immediate future we've, we've got a business that people like and, and has bounced back to a degree but just need a bit of um assistance through the next kind of 12 to 18 months and yeah i i, I can't buy into the idea that landlords just don't care about the, the, the situation and um you know particularly city center guys now they're going to struggle um on the face of it to relet those spaces so why wouldn't they want to engage on, on um, you know, some sort of solution and just, yeah, keep hammering away? Mm, no, okay. I think that's a, a good perspective. Uh, and what's your uh, expectation sort of finally, you know, looking forward, I guess, um, we're in summer at the moment, you know, doors and windows open, lots of people have got terraces, government are encouraging sort of, you know, out on the street trading. You must have looked at this as, you know, as we go into autumn and, and all the doors and windows get shut and, and maybe people get a little bit more nervous and it's always harder to get people out when it's when it's sort of raining. Um, what, what's your time frame are you looking at before you sort of you know get back into a decent level of, of profitability yeah i mean we, we've we've sort of assumed that the current situation to be right through to christmas um i can't see a scenario um in winter that we we get any more freedom than we've got at the moment um uh, obviously everyone is very nervous about the the kind of um you know marrying of cough and cold season with the the, the, the covid fear and clearly that's why we're all sort of running around in masks already it's just anything that is going to help to sort of suppress the spread of any sort of infection is, is going to be seen as a positive and i'm sure there will be a lot of a lot of crossover between you know what, what is quite an established sort of problem if you like in winter and, and what is obviously a very new problem and and that may change people's behavior um certainly a minor reference that we're, we're um, doing okay against our base forecast at the moment we're certainly benefiting from having a bit more outside space and um uh, you know literally making a bit of hay while the uh, while the sun shines um our, our assumption you know in terms of our modeling is that that we we aren't going to see any um a, any growth from the position we're in and in fact we're likely to have a bit of fallback against it but as long as we maintain against our, our base position and, and we tie up some of these um uh, agreements that we have with with you know the, the various stakeholders then we'll, we'll see our way through christmas and and then um yeah looking for a, a gradual build really from 2021 um not you know hanging on for that silver bullet of a, of a vaccine i just think it'll be something that we, we learn to live with a little bit more and um we've done what every good operator has done you know rebase the business we've, we've we've sort of looked at how our head office is structured and, and how we we'd sort of set up for growth um we've repotted a few of those people into to sites and 
we'd just be concentrating on the, the main estate for a little while. Um, but fortunately, you know, we've got a fairly cash generative business and, and we've got an operating model that, that seems to resonate with guests. Um, we, we, yeah, we're expecting to um, to be operating on very narrow margins, but they, they're just about in the black. And, um, uh, you, you know, obviously we, we don't know what's going to happen in terms of sort of local lockdowns and so on. But one of the benefits we will have if that happens is that we've got, you know, a, a wider estate that potentially be able to carry that for, um, you know, at, at least periods of time. So, yeah, v- v- very watchful, remaining very um, uh, kind of flexible and, and ready to react to situations as they change. Um, staying confident in the fact that we've got a, a, a business that, that people like. And um, I think the fact that we, we have had this initial bounce back give, gives us more confidence um, going forward. There was there was a, you know, period in, in the sort of heart of lockdown where you really thought, God, is there any, you know, any future in hospitality full stop? And, and certainly, you know, could, could sense that from the investment community. And I think the fact that it has come back, you know, in in, um, in some degree has been really useful. So, um, yeah, we're, we're expecting to, to operate as we are really right through until um, the early part of next year. And then hopefully just sort of ride that wave as, as it starts to unfold. Um, it, it may be that we continue to perform at the sort of level we are, and that would be great. And um, as I said earlier, I want to make sure that we're alive to, uh, you know, to, to opportunity if, if, you know, the business case presents itself. But um for now, it's just good to have the doors back open and to, to be doing our thing and, and getting in and out of the venues and seeing, you know, happy, confident faces of our teams and, and you know, getting the, the good sort of feedback and tills ringing from the guests. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I think the public are very much aware of the fact that, you know, things could change quickly and, and the winter could be tough. So they seem to be out in droves and, and eat out to help out is, is certainly helping. So, well, look, congratulations on all you've achieved. You know, you, your name uh, and the Alchemist name comes up regularly as a sort of an example, I guess, to to operators uh, of, of doing things well and doing things right and just of, for sort of, you know, being a genuine, decent human in, in hospitality. Uh, so congratulations on all you've done and best of luck in the future. Where should people go if they want to follow uh, either you personally, Simon, or follow the brand? Is there a particular social channel or somewhere people should go? Yeah, I mean, it's it's sort of Instagram and Twitter, really, at The Alchemist, very easy. Um, I've got a, a personal Twitter, which tends to be quite work-focused. I, I think that's potsy 80 or 80 potsy one or the other anyway it's um it's uh, it's easy enough to find and um yeah yeah uh, have a look through um see what we've done um uh, on, on instagram plenty of plenty of images and, and a sense of what the business is about on there enjoy amazing all right perfect i'll put some links up on the uh, on the show notes for this episode as well that will take people there but for now thank you so much for your time and uh, yeah best of luck making the most of the rest of the summer and uh, yeah it's been great to catch up simon lovely thank you very much for having me I hope you enjoyed the chat and I will pop some links up to Simon and The Alchemist over at the website humansofhospitality.co.uk and whilst you're on the website if you can afford to support the podcast with a few spare pounds please click on the Patreon link on the homepage and follow the instructions. You help keep these chats on the air and you help me justify to my finance team at work that the podcast, which they have genuinely nicknamed The Podcast, is actually a great idea and should be supported. Thank you for listening and I will be back next Monday morning with another awesome hospitality human to chat to and I've got some great guests booked in this month including Gary Jones, the executive chef working with Raymond Blanc at Le Manoir. We're heading off to Scotland to learn all about incredible salt. We're booked in with the head gardener at The Pig, Ollie Hudson and Jose Pizarro is going to be teaching us about Spanish cuisine. Cheers. Cheers.